0: Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland.
1: Dan Auer, San
0: Francisco. Every week, the three of us call in for a conversation about design's effect on the world and the world's effect on design. Here we go.
2: How's everyone's week? It's raining. It's raining over here, but I think it's we got some, I assume it's raining in New York too, Matt.
0: Uh, I honestly haven't been outside today yet, so <laughs> I don't
2: know. You just have like an interior wall, like, like yeah. a room just walled off to the center of the building with no windows. windows.
0: I do yeah. have a window, but it faces a brick wall, so I can't really see the ground where I would see rain. The in. majesty oh.
2: of New York, people. How could oh, you I do not want to live there? I actually <laughs> have a
0: pretty good reason for not going outside. Just the other day, there's a shooting a couple blocks up from where I work. Oh, oh yeah. I'll keep you inside.
2: God, we should probably talk about that briefly, huh? That was,
0: yeah, that's horrible. It seems like every week. There's actually, there's an Onion article. There's like, America celebrates week without mass shooting, and then an update. Never mind. That thing killed me, especially because I I had read the
2: article yesterday, or the day before the shooting. I actually read the article, and then the next day they updated it, and... It's like the Onion can't even keep up with how absurd we are. The Onion is so, so good, because it's so poignant and it is funny but it's also crushingly sad it is always
0: it, it is always the saddest when a satire comes true and the satirist just has to throw up their
2: arms exactly yeah. which is which is what happened i guess it is funny I, so many people have said something to the effect of oh the shooting was only three blocks from my, my walk to work every day and whatnot and it occurs to me like hundreds of thousands of people are within a couple blocks of that uh, location every day on their walk to work
0: Oh, yeah, it's hard to not make it relative to where you are when you're like, oh, I was 10 blocks away from being shot or something. <laughs> um, I, have a, I have a friend who actually works. It, it happened on a corner, and she works on the corner where it happened and was, like, I guess had friends who were, like, ducking behind trucks and stuff. Oh, my Pretty, God. Pretty uh, traumatic. I mean, I, 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 it's probably obvious, but very traumatic for a lot of people, and it's just amazing how many people one guy can affect. Yeah. What a dick. Yeah, really. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> Dan with the unpopular opinion. Apparently yeah. Um, yeah. he's been plotting Ooh. that for like two years, though. Like, this was not an accident. Well,
2: we're making some bold statements on the show today. We agree that shootings are sad and that that guy's a dick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
2: we, also, we also lost Neil Armstrong. First man to walk on oh, the okay. planet is, is yeah. gone. That's, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a bummer. Dan with another unpopular
0: opinion. Yeah, it's a bummer.
2: I, I actually really liked reading. I read a couple articles about him that were written, you know, after he died, and I, I didn't realize that he was so introverted and just nerdy. Like he was just an exceptionally good engineer that was a good test pilot because he was such a good engineer, and that's sort of how he got to his his place, you know, in the Apollo missions and all that sort of stuff. I love the idea that uh, nerds sort of rise to the top.
0: <laughs> I guess it's a good argument for uh, just working hard. I didn't realize he was an engineer and rose to that level. I did not know that.
2: Yeah, he started out as an aeronautical engineer, and after he did all the NASA stuff, he went back to teaching aeronautical engineering uh, at a college. Just a nerd that we happened to put on the moon. (laughs) I think that sums it up. All right, you
0: guys want to get to the top of the dock? Let's go to the top of the dock, yeah. I put this in, and it wasn't news this week. It was just something we've been talking about, the idea of specialized information or or the idea of picking the information that you want. And we've talked about it in a very positive light. But I, I stumbled across an old TED Talk by Eli Parser, and it's called Beware of Online Filter Bubbles. And he, I guess he went on to write a book called Filter Bubbles, uh, What the Internet is Hiding. And he talks about the idea that because we start to specialize this information and we get to pick the information that we want, we get further and further and further into our whole and we never come out of there. Two interesting quotes from the thing were what we want to see versus what we need to see, and information vegetables versus information dessert, and the argument would be that we're only going for the information dessert now, which is, it could be partially like the reality TV world is information dessert, but also just your political leanings could be your information dessert.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This makes me think a lot about the conversation we've been having the last couple weeks about Twitter and the nature of these various social communities and how... Even though Twitter is exceptionally diverse, you can follow a really small subset of people and get a really sort of specific chunk of news out of that big big flood of noise. Uh, for a long time, I got sort of most of my news from Twitter because I imagine if something relevant was going on, someone I followed would say something about it. But you know, recently, it's come to my attention that that's just like, dangerous, very, very dangerous to rely on just the people that I've handpicked to provide news to me. Uh, when it sometimes you do have to just go to a news website and, you know, sort through it yourself and eat your vegetables when it comes to information. It is, I,
0: have dealt with Twitter very much the same way. And then it's funny to me, I guess, I guess more dangerous, but funny to me sometimes when there are these, just these huge things that happen that I'm not aware of until I go to the news site because I, it's just so far out of whatever bubble I've crafted for myself that I wouldn't otherwise care about it, but it is a really big deal.
2: And on the flip side, my Twitter feed is the best weather report for Brooklyn in
1: the whole world because you know so many, so many designers are in
2: Brooklyn. So if it's going to rain there or if it's really hot, I find
1: out about it 30 or 40 times a day. So Kind of going in the same vein. We've been talking a lot about this at work because we're a social network and we're thinking about different ways people can connect either through other people or through content. And when we talk about content, there's always the idea of relevancy. Pinterest does that and some other ones that they try to get you into categories of stuff that you're interested in. So if you say, like, cars and technology and design, then you start getting a feed of cars and technology and design. And it when you start interacting with something like Pinterest, it, just, it gets so funneled that you never see anything but those things. And that's the part where I, I really question, like, Aren't there things that are interesting to anybody that go outside of the realm of the things that they automatically choose? There's that, and uh, kind of the automatic relevancy stuff that Facebook does. And I kind of just wonder that are these systems not really perfect, and they get really funneled? It's true, and we spend so much time
2: like all advertising these days is trying to pinpoint with as much precision exactly who the person is that is viewing this content and how we can cater directly to them with ads. And it's not just advertising, it's also content in general. And so I wonder if, if we're approaching a point where you know the, web, the internet is just sort of a, a mirror reflection of, of you in some weird, distorted way that doesn't provide any real value or broaden any horizons.
0: It'll be interesting to see what... I feel like we'll have to come up with social engineering tactics to get people back to some more general information that they actually need to read, as opposed to exactly what they want to read. Because we could just become giant children with no parents to feed us our vegetables and always go back to only the piece of information we enjoy and essentially end up with a public that should not be voting for anything.
1: We already have a
2: public that shouldn't be voting for anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a really good point because people have become way more uh, polarized with politics and that sort of thing. I actually wonder if that's partly to blame. The fact that you could just go to the places that feel comfortable. You know, like the people who want to go to Fox News can surround themselves all day with Fox News, where they don't get any... Yeah. And I don't watch it. Yeah. For the same reason. So I wonder if, like, we just have to, like, Democrats have to watch a little bit of Fox
0: every day. There was a book with a similar thesis, and I'm forgetting the title, um, but I'll put it in the show notes. So here's the idea that yes, that's one thing. You can watch only the politics that you agree with, so you just further your own ideas of that. And then two... You get to live kind of where you want because commuting is less and less of an issue. If you can work at home, you can work online, um, you get to pick the place that you live, not based on where it is in proximity to work, but based on what you want. So you get to pick an area that has only like-minded people, and you get to pick your media that has only like-minded people. You spiral into this world where you have these completely polarized communities, and they only think one way. That's crazy.
2: It makes total sense, but it, we always think about the internet as this great connecting tool. It's an amazing way to bring everyone to the table, and it's a great equalizer. But it's true. You can totally use it just to go from source to source and find exactly what you want and ignore all of the rest of it. And so it really could ma- accommodate a sort of dystopian future where everyone lives exactly where they want and has the exact neighbors they've always wanted that never challenge any of their expectations or put them out of their comfort zone and everyone's just sort of floating by in this
0: tofu world. It it seems almost the only logical conclusion of this specialization of information or the sorry, I guess the relevance of information to you.
2: Free book idea if you're a sci-fi writer out there just just give us yeah, a little credit go. on
0: the back cover. It brings up this huge design challenge of now you have to design things that people need not what they want. And I guess we've had to do this forever but As this tension spans grow shorter and shorter and shorter, what are going to be, I don't know, are they going to be tricks to get people to kind of do their civic duty and learn about the world?
2: Yeah, and in some ways, we've always been designing exactly what people need and not what they want. But this is different because we're designing something specifically that they don't want, where before it was just like, you don't know that you want this. You think you want, you know, a knife with an ergonomic handle and (laughs) rubber, all this stuff. But actually, if it's just got a wooden handle, it's way better, and here's why. But this is actually, I don't want to read the news. I don't want to be politically involved. I don't want to do my civic duty and figure out what's going on in the world. I just want to watch wimp videos all day of adorable dogs and people doing backflips. And we're sort of trying to force that down their throats.
0: It'll be interesting as advertisers have to turn their skill set towards something altruistic just to get people to consume some sort of news that makes them kind of valuable
1: citizen. But how do you do that, though? Because ultimately, I mean... I know plenty of people that literally just don't watch the news because of how depressing it is to them, and and people who don't use Facebook because of how little value they see in it. And how do you do that in a culture that exists now, where people, if they don't like it, they can just shut it off?
2: Well, you know how like Hulu sometimes you have to watch a thirty second ad or two minute <laughs> ad before you watch a video. Yeah. Maybe instead of that, we just people have to like watch some information about politics and some like relevant news stories before they're allowed to watch the next episode of Two and a Half Men. That would be a
0: really interesting uh, not-for-profit to start is the kind of advertising for good where you buy ad spots to deliver information that you think people actually need as opposed to selling them one more soda. Dude, we're just giving out ideas today. We told we said on a previous show <laughs> that ideas are not as valuable as we think they are. So let's Take put them out in the public and see if they work. This is the Dan idea story. brigade. That would be a great Kickstarter, funding a, a, a set of media buys that get people more valuable information.
2: That's mm. so many levels of, like, assuming that we got to find the people that think they're so great that they're willing to pay their money to improve the general understanding of the rest of the population. It's, like, so many levels of uh, assuming that you're better informed than the next person.
0: I guess that's always what it is, though, right? At some point, if you're going to be an editor, you have to assume you know it's good for people. It always kind of blows my mind that people do run for president. Because at some point, oh, it's you insane. just have to be a crazy narcissist, right? You... Th- do you or, think you know what's best for everybody?
2: Or, like, I always thought, so Obama's the first president, partially because I'm first president and I've really been old enough to, to vote, first of all. Um, the first president I've really identified with and felt some sort of empathy towards were, before, there always been such, like, characters to me. And I feel like in a lot of ways, to be president, you have to just either be a super narcissist and just think that you're the greatest person in the whole world and, and this is, this is meant for you or you have to understand that you're taking one for the team. Because being the president is a horrible, horrible job, which is a realization that I think everyone has at a certain point in their life. But it's such a draining, horrible thing, and you get blamed for everything on the whole planet. I think that in some ways you have to just take one for the team and say that you're going to give up eight years of your life to do it because someone's got to do it, you know?
0: Yeah, it would just be the same thing for this, unless we're going to hand it out like jury duty. You just get a letter in the mail and you're the president this week. (laughs)
2: I shouldn't have registered to vote. I got president duty again.
0: <laughs> I don't want to be president this week, guys.
2: God, I really hope it doesn't go to war while I'm there. Oh, that would be the worst. Hello. Oh oh this is—it's it's a lot to this idea, though. It is. There is definitely a. I guess we're just now getting good enough at catering this information to people that there is a dark side to it. There is a, a downside to having everything so spoon-fed to you.
0: Yeah, and the the other thing about it is that. It's not even necessarily spoon-fed by people. It's a computer's idea of what a person wants. So ooh, it's, ooh. That, it's a little darker than, than just people giving you what you want.
2: And someday the computers are going to decide that they're just going to feed us pro-computer propaganda. Never once <laughs> going to think all the robots are great.
0: This Ugh. is a whole other sci-fi novel, but it's, it's such a different Terminator. They're not, there's no war. They just pipe all the information they want you to have into your, your computer, and now you believe everything the robots say. There was no need for a war. This
2: is the dystopian episode.
0: We always talk about how great the future's going to be, and I I guess we need to reel it in a little bit sometimes.
2: Everyone, the future's not going to be great unless you go and look at the popular hashtags on Twitter once a day and go read the cover of the news blog that is opposite your political beliefs.
0: Justin Bieber is (laughs) God.
2: I've read an article, a brief post this week from Kevin Rose, the founder of Dig, that got me thinking about a lot of stuff. Um, He put a post on his blog called The Boolean Graph, and basically he was talking about the problems that have come up with Facebook and other social networks, and uh, my big takeaway from it was that he's talking about how, you know, up until this point, social networks have very much had a sort of, like, heyday. There was the Friendster days, and then everyone shipped from that over to MySpace, everyone from that over to Facebook. Now people are sort of specializing and going over to Instagram or Path or Twitter and sort of splintering a little bit more. But I think his point was that one of the reasons this happens might not be just the trend of evolving technology, but also the fact that when you adopt something, you're a certain kind of person. And if that service doesn't grow and change with you a couple years later, you're a different kind of person and that information is no longer relevant to you. And that really hit home because I, I have a Facebook account that I got, I think, the end of high school... So I friended all my high school friends and whatnot. And, and now the account is more or less useless to me because every time I sign on, there's like 600 people whose updates I could not care less about. And I've been slowly trying to unfriend them in an effort to make it a little more usable and try to understand what Facebook is today because I feel a, a obligation as a designer to understand exactly what Facebook is and how it performs in the world. But it's just, it's incredible friction, amount of high friction for me to go and take all my friends off and make this service useful to me again.
0: I think this is one of the reasons people... I I jump ship, I know, because you just like – you treat the first social network like your first Halloween and you just eat all the candy in the same night and then you have a huge stomach ache the day after. And I just – I remember the early social networks just going nuts and friending everybody and not realizing I'm losing the value of the network by doing that. Like I can remember having a MySpace and having like thousands of friends and then having a Facebook and having a couple hundred friends and then having a Twitter and following like a thousand people, and I just had to kind of slowly reel it back to make this thing actually useful and realize it's not just like making the most connections. It's hopefully making quality connections if, if that is possible via a social network.
2: And it made yeah. me think about how that might be one of the biggest advantages of Twitter that I hadn't realized before, how easy it is to unfollow somebody. I mean, I do, I, my Twitter following is fairly uh, fluctuating. Like if someone – tweets out a whole bunch of dumb shit that I don't care about. I'm like, well, you're gone, Un- unfollowed for now, and I'll follow some other people for a little while just to test them and see what their content is like. And it's very much a fluctuating thing, which is not the case with Facebook. Uh, I actually really hesitate to friend anybody now just because I, I know that maybe in two years I'm not going to care about them anymore. I don't want to have to go through all the work of unfriending them or worse, finding out about the-, the kid they had out of wedlock or something. So, yeah, it's interesting to think that maybe one of the next big things will be something that really grows with you and allows you to – to change the way in which you use the service based on how your your life changes.
0: It's also, it'll be interesting to see how you design the feature of friending and unfriending in the future, knowing that it's become this kind of, I guess it's become more socially acceptable to unfriend people, but it is still a rejection of somebody. And if they find out while there's no notification being sent to that person, if there were less ways to find out that you do or do not have the connection or broken the connection, you might be more willing to make the network more valuable for yourself.
1: I mean, in the future, though, is there any sort of idea that maybe is just isn't as binary? Because in life, it isn't just like you are or aren't friends with somebody. There's different levels of knowing somebody. And it just, I think it just feels a little bit archaic, the fact that we're still at this point where either you're like specifically connected with this person or not. And it isn't as fluid as it is in reality.
2: I could be wrong, but I think Facebook does have a close friends and also an acquaintances option, so you can sort it, of.
0: It's like grouping, kind of like right the, it's circles or something. It's the same idea as circles. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, so I think Facebook would really benefit if they had a really fun way for me to go through and unfriend people. Like maybe it just like puts all my friends in a big grid, and I can like, <laughs> you know, take a trash can and throw the people in the trash can I don't care about anymore. It should be a game of asteroids where they come. You have to shoot them <laughs> from the sky. You'd be very careful not to, like, oh, I shot my mom. Crap, I got to go refriend her. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I, I do think that that is that is one of the biggest problems with Facebook, and it is one of the things I maybe didn't notice about the value of Twitter was that it was so easy to unfollow people that you know I never feel out of control of what of my content. And every time I go into Facebook, I'm like, oh, look at all this crap. I don't care about it all. Super. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of of the next big thing maybe is that it can grow with you and and change and evolve. I
0: like the idea too that it's not binary, but I also struggle with the fact that it becomes a more complex function and it's just harder for somebody to do. And if – like are we going to add people if there's more than just a follow button, if there's like seven buttons? Or do you mean it in a different way?
1: I don't know if there's really a system that – can really set that because like you're saying, if there's seven different buttons, that is really, really not usable Uh, because then there's this whole management thing. Like if somebody goes to the next level in a friendship or whatever, but um, I don't know. I just feel like even if there was a way where you could still stay relevant with that person without having to do the whole follow unfollow thing, that would be optimal. But what does that even look like?
2: I have friends like close friends that I don't follow on Twitter because I just don't, care about, they, they tweet a bunch of stuff all the time and they're not tweeting about things I care about. So I feel like where Facebook is very much a rejection because they call it a friendship and it's like, all right, I'm rejecting you as a friend. I don't want you to see my stuff. Twitter, I think, is more acceptable maybe to not follow people that you're close to just because, hey, I like you. You're a good person. I just don't care about you know your four square check-ins at every single place five times a day. So uh, right. in, in that way, Twitter is also very simple. It's just it's not saying we're friends or not friends. It's just saying I care about what you're tweeting. Like that is the that is the entire interaction.
0: It is yeah. There's the there's the functional difference of it, but it, I think it really does come down to a lot of the time just the metaphor that you use for it. Because mm-hmm. um, follow and friend do do different things, but people treat them very much the same way. And maybe the using the word follow to describe the function allows people to more fluidly you know, break connections and then make new ones or break connection, come back to it, make another one. I I love the idea that just a little, the way you use the word or the, the image that you try to bring in somebody else's mind in describing a function changes drastically how they interact with it.
1: Yeah. Oh God, wouldn't it be, okay, this might be a stupid feature, but specifically for Facebook, how there's a really, really binary friend and unfriend. I wonder if there would be something, you know, like after a certain time span Facebook basically says okay real talk you haven't talked to this person or interacted with them in like a year and a half we can we can archive them they won't know but you won't have to you won't have to see their stuff ever again yes or no it's not a bad feature actually
0: to like to have a running tally it reminds me of uh, some blog software has comments over a certain number or articles over a certain number of days that you can lock off the comments because any nothing valuable is gonna happen after that. Mm-hmm. Um If you haven't confirmed your friendship with this other person, it's not really that valuable unless you specifically say that it is. You have to re up. It's a subscription service to your friends.
2: There are definitely ways I feel they could pull people out of the feed that they. I mean, I don't think face. I think Facebook has a pretty good idea of which people I do and don't care about anymore based on all the data they have. I would love for them to sort of hide those people that had one class with junior year of high school. And have since gone on to do some crazy thing.
0: Actually, I don't mean to bring it completely back to the first conversation, but the filter bubble does talk about the way Facebook does hide things from you. The author was talking about how he figured out that Facebook was actually hiding some of his conservative friends because he continually hid their articles and then figured out other friends with similar likes and just hid everything from him, and he realized he just had a whole feed full of Democrats.
2: My Facebook hides everything except for ex-girlfriends from me. Every time I sign off, it's just like, <laughs> here's your ex-girlfriend, happy with this other guy. Here's your other ex-girlfriend, happy with some other dude, and your other ex-girlfriend's getting married. And it's like, oh, thanks, this is my ex-girlfriend notification machine.
0: Why do you not unfriend them immediately upon breakup? Okay, okay so I
2: I, I'm one of those weird dudes that's like still really close with most of his ex-girlfriends. No, so, that's a bad choice. Like We're actually still fr- <laughs> I'm friends with all of them. Which oh, is, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I
1: can't connect with this at all. Me and Angie have <laughs> been together for like 11 years now. Oh, I don't even... shut up. Just shut the fuck <laughs> up. It's like moon speak. <laughs> Neil Armstrong moon speak to me. <laughs> I mean,
0: to be fair to them, they figured out that you were close to these people at some point. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, just man. Doing, maybe. Doing something, right? <laughs> Facebook is like that awkward friend that uh, understands part of the social situation, but not all of it. <laughs> It's like, yeah. hey you guys are friends, right? You wanna you wanna go away to the lake house this weekend? It's like ah we have a we have a history, Facebook. But <laughs> you guys are friends though. You're friends. <laughs> I, I see you guys sharing links to each other. Let's go to the lake house and share links. <laughs> If you're interested in supporting the On The Grid podcast, we have an interesting sponsorship model available. You can email us with your website, mobile application, maybe a logo or a poster, some sort of design work, and we will critique it on air, which provides twofold value for you. One, you get some critical feedback on your thing to make it better. And two, you get some ears that get to hear
1: about your product.
0: And we're going to try to be as honest as possible. And hopefully it's a work in progress so we have something to actually discuss.
1: Yeah. And we just give it an honest critique to say, this is what our thoughts are. Maybe this could help you out.
0: You can email us at mail at co. You can also give us a call if you want to provide a short little description and some context. Our number is 973-ON-GRID-2, which is 973-664-7432. And if you mail us, we'll send you rates, and we'll tell you what we need from you. An image, a little bit of context, so we know what we're talking about. So this was an article in the New York Times, and it was not necessarily design-related, but I think we can all make connections. It was called Why Waiting in New Line is Torture, and it goes into the ideas of why we estimate our time in line is so much longer why we are so much more unhappy when we are in line and what we can do to fix those things it, i thought it was really interesting because it it all makes perfect sense and some of the solutions are very interesting like one one thing they mentioned was that people are very unhappy when they wait for their luggage so if you're if you're getting out of your your airplane and you're walking to get your bags and you have to wait actually standing around the belt if you just stand, stand around the belt that brings your luggage the longer you wait, the more unhappy you are. makes makes a lot of sense. But they found with airports where the distance from the gate to the baggage is much longer, so people are actually walking on the way to the gate, and that, the, that time is essentially the same amount of time. They just spend part of that time walking to the belt. They are much happier because they didn't actually have to stand in one place looking for their bag and waiting on it.
2: This is a great example of one of those times, too, where if you ask people— do you want your bag to be closer to the uh, gate where you're getting off or further? Everyone would say, closer, I want it closer. But then if you put it closer, they're going to stand there waiting and they're going to put a bunch of complaints in. So it, it's a matter of doing what the person uh, – you've got to kind of trick people in a way, which is so much of user experience. And I do think it's what it's exactly to uh, to design, actually. Uh, spe- I specifically was reminded of the Instagram app, which you know one of their main competitive edges in the beginning and still to this day is that they begin processing your photo and uploading it before you've completed the process of like – adding all the filters and captioning it and choosing how you're going to share it. So by the time you actually get to the end of that screen and hit share, it's already uploaded, so it happens really quickly. And that slight alteration of like multi-threading that process and running it in the background made their app feel so much faster than the competitors, even though it was actually the same amount of time that you just spent that time doing something instead of watching a little beach ball spin. Mm-hmm. That made people feel so much better about the application. So I, I think it's all it's all linked really closely.
0: I guess that's true. Yeah. I I just I love the idea that just the longer stretch Walking between the gate and and the baggage makes such a difference in the perception, even though time hasn't changed at all. It's really just like, uh, it's a little bit of magic. It's like a magician doing a card trick on you. And even if you know about it, you're still going to have the same perception that it is better.
2: That's the best kind of design too, because all those fat Americans are burning calories when they're walking to pick up their bags, which is something else we need to work on. So, if we, if we could just put TV screens on the on the way to walk to the carousel that have you know relevant news stories and important political information to inform everybody, you know, we'd we'll be one step closer to a more informed, skinnier America.
0: <laughs> I did think it was interesting that the article brought up not only about the the waiting line, but how many how many of our decisions are made to kill time and like how much of our lives is really spent like avoiding doing nothing in the future it reminds me of like the difference in my life before and after an iphone like waiting for buses and stuff and i can remember in college before the iphone waiting for a bus i know people who actually started smoking because (laughs) they were bored waiting for the bus and they would they would go grab a smoke from a friend and I'll be honest and say I've had a couple of cigarettes waiting for a bus and I don't smoke yes. because I was bored. And that's, <laughs> that's an amazing decision, a decision that could kill you because we were all bored for a couple minutes. Yeah, and it,
2: it reminds me too of why I would like to ride bikes. Like it takes longer to ride a bike most places uh, in, in a city. But I would so much rather be going slowly on a bike to that location the entire time than stop and go in a car, which drives me up the wall.
0: Yeah, I actually make decisions like that about taking the subway sometimes where I realize the subway will be there so much faster, but I have to like stand underground for five minutes at a time when I could be walking. So I could stand underground for five minutes and then wait five minutes, or I could walk for 20 minutes. But it just feels so much better because I'm outside and I'm doing something, standing, waiting for that subway to come. feels like you're dying. Like it, it makes you realize that your life is finite and you will die someday. We talk yes. about death so much on this show. Design uh, has so much to do with death. Everything we design really does have to do with death because if you, if you are reminded of your mortality, you will think about death. And some of the design decisions we make will remind you of your mortality. I'm just picturing you
2: walking like 60 blocks now in New York with your headphones on, and I'm walking on Sunshine's plan, and you're just <laughs> bopping along. There's a really excellent episode of 99% Invisible that relates to cue design that everyone that's listening to this should now go and listen to because it's excellent. Um, and it talks a lot about some similar ideas in this article and uh, how much of an art designing a line really is. And then that all those same considerations, I think, have to go into any interface that you design ever to try and make the waiting a more enjoyable experience and less feel like waiting
0: yeah it it's like the as as sign-up forms have been pared down over time the realization that like if they can just get you in to to hop on it really quick and give them your email and your password and go you'll sign up for the other stuff later because you're already in but let's just get you in right now
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quick side note, yeah, the, there was a the whole, I, again, with the Facebook thing, they updated their uh, iOS apps, and everybody's saying it's so much faster. Thank God they finally went over to native. And that really isn't the case at all. I mean, it, it is a little bit faster. It's a little bit smoother. I'll give them that. But they made improvements that they could have done through web standards that they just ended up doing in native. Uh, one of those things is a lot like how Instagram did it, which you were just talking about, where if you make like a status update or something like that, it immediately visibly goes into the feed, but it's actually still processing in the background while you do it. And it's just one of those things that it's the perception that it's quicker just because it's in your feed quicker. And and the fact that all your older stuff in the feed is still there. And when you refresh, it's still there just is pushed down with new stuff that didn't happen with the last feed, but it was just a matter of how they implemented the, the code, that's the only difference.
2: Yeah, but I, I think it's actually a really big step for them to go to a native app. I, I, I never used the Facebook app before, so I can't say that it's faster because I only downloaded it to see the new one that everyone was talking about. But mm. I do know for sure that doing something natively is almost always way faster than doing the equivalent thing in a web view. I, I know this because WikiWeb is in a web view. It's essentially a, a, a web app um, that's sort of wrapped in a native shell but waiting for JavaScript to load from servers that are God knows where and waiting for other assets to load from servers all over the place is really the, the big bottleneck with any web view app uh, as opposed to a native app where you can put all those assets right there and have them be readily accessible. So it, it makes sense to me that it's actually probably a lot faster. Um, I'm surprised it took them this long to get around to making a native app considering how huge the company is and how big that market is for them. Do
0: you think it's a shift in philosophy? Like do you think there's a holdout in thinking well, we'll design in HTML5 because we believe in HTML5. And then finally,
1: all right, it's not working. We're going to go the Apple way. That may be the case. I can see part of it, honestly, being if you do something in a web view, it's really easy to A-B test stuff. But in, in native, it's a lot more difficult. You have to do things ahead of time when you, uh, you know, go into the release cycle with the App Store. So I can see part of it of maybe they actually just found a different way to do all their testing.
2: That's also a possibility, because I know they do tons of A-B testing, I'm sure, so having to do that differently is, is probably not, not a small hang-up. So, I know we talk about scomorphism a lot on this show, at least we have in the past. I thought it was interesting, I saw that Evernote now came out with a physical notebook, which is a really interesting twist for me because you know, Evernote presumably started because of all of the uh, failings and shortcomings of physical notebooks, and now they're like, oh, well, let's just also print a physical notebook, which seems strange to me, but people's responses to it was mostly positive. People all seem to be sort of impressed that an internet company can pull out the stops and actually make a physical product. What did you guys think of this thing?
0: I thought it was not very exciting. It seems like any other moleskin... Uh, it happens to have grid pages on some pages, but many notebooks have that. I'm not really sure why it's all that valuable. It seems maybe more like a way to make money than a way to actually do something innovative.
1: Yeah, uh, like honestly, I, I have my iPad and my Moleskin that I walk around with uh, every day. iPad does a lot of useful stuff. It can connect to the internet and do things that way. But ultimately, if something has to be sketched down really quick, I always go to the Moleskin just because it's so so much more natural for me mm-hmm. and. Even though I can see where they're targeting me specifically because I have both of them, they're like, oh, well, you use Evernote and you use a Moleskin. Why don't you put them the, the two together? I just – I don't have the need to have things I sketch in my notebook digitized and, and put into Evernote. It's also a very tedious way of doing things. I
0: think there is there is room for a product like this if it, if it adds something to the app, which it seems to claim it does but not not hugely. If you could actually sketch and it would go straight to the app or there was a very efficient way of getting the information into the app. and, it, and the I know they have handwriting recognition, so that's kind of cool. But taking a picture of every single page is super tedious, and it's really the same thing as just taking a picture on your phone
2: and putting in your photo album. I don't see this being any sort of innovation. So do you guys think there is room for any web service or product that replaces something physical to also bring in that physical thing? Because to me – I think It that seems like
0: backpedaling. A, I don't like it, Yeah, the so
2: if this had been something that Evernote started with, and I think Evernote's a weird, a weird example because very few people, I think, have a problem with their sketchbooks. Like, a sketchbook is a very intimate thing. People use them all in totally different ways, and all of the solutions, like Evernote solves the way that one person uses their sketchbook. Like you said, Dan, it hasn't replaced your sketchbook for you, um, nor do I think it ever will. So... Uh, but is it possible for some web services to use a physical product in the beginning to sort of wean people over to a
1: other solution, a different solution? I think Square's doing that. I mean, because they have this physical card reader. It's a but damn good point. Yeah, but it, you know, they're obviously trying to ease into this uh, digital currency rather than something that's in a credit card. That I
0: really that approach I appreciate much better. It's a very it's a much more honest approach, and it's like. We're not there yet, but we'll get there together, as opposed to, like, here's how, here's the future of notes. Wait a
2: minute. <laughs> no, overall, overall it, it does seem like a huge, a weird step backwards. And it's, it's also a weird admission that your service can't do all the things that you want it to do, so you're going to instead send people some notebooks and let them do it physically, and then try and get them to take pictures of it and put it on your service anyway.
0: I am forever looking for the, the way to finally get rid of the paper notebook, though. Like, I, I always have one. And I don't even do a fancy one. I just do, you know, those old comp books. Mm-hmm. Um, just cheap. Lots of paper. It's all I need. I don't need a moleskin Because yeah. that's a lot of money over time. Like, I would go through notebooks too fast to be spending 20 bucks a time on a notebook. And all I really want is a piece of paper around at all times. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it just, can't, I can't do it on the iPad. I can't, my finger oh. is not a pencil. And uh, a stylus never seemed quite right. There still is a, there's a, problem to be solved. I just don't, I haven't found it yet. I don't know that anybody's really done it that well.
1: Yeah. See, that's the thing is that, uh, I've been trying to use paper that app that's on the iPad. Yeah. I've tried that too. like, I've been trying it. I got myself a stylus. Like I, I did the whole read the reviews to see what the best stylus was. Uh, I've been trying a couple out, but bottom line, I end up having to stress out more about how the, the stylus is interacting with the screen rather than the crap that I really need to get on the screen. So I remember it.
2: Yeah, it's true. A pencil is still a really amazing tool that's evolved over many, many years to be as efficient and the perfect thing for the job, and we have not been able to replace that uh, digitally yet. I get all warm and fuzzy about paper notebooks. I, I still like them. I love having like an archive of my sketches for the past six years and being able to just have that as a sort of byproduct of the creative process. And I think it's interesting. Um, not to say you couldn't have that digitally, but it, it feels less nice- I I still have I still have analog warm and fuzzy feelings. I have to I have to confess. I need to go to like analog anonymous or something. <laughs>
0: do you <laughs> do you um, keep one the same kind of sketchbook and get get
2: it over and over and over again, or do you mm-hmm. have a mess of sketchbooks that you've tried and whole m- mess a whole mess of them? Um, I, I, actually, I think only there's only a few sketchbooks I've ever gotten more than once. Um, I bounced around a whole bunch. I, I, I too have a bunch of those really cheap composition notebooks that are sort of laying around. So I've got a bunch of those. Uh, I've had a few moleskins, a bunch of much bigger books because I always didn't like the small ones as much. So I could have a big space to work with. Yeah, so I don't have a nice like set. They don't look. On, they don't sit on a shelf and look all you know homogenous. But um, but no, I, I still like having that physical. And I like to page through them too every once in a while and then look at how far uh, I've come and feel ashamed and humbled. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do. I yeah. I kind of envy people who have kept the one notebook over the years. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but Michael Beirut keeps all of his sketchbooks over time. And they're all... He did that speech on it. Yeah, he did an exhibition of it too. And they're all in comp books. It's like perfectly uniform and they're all dinged up and drawings all over them. And ah, I I wish I just picked one early on and done that so I can just keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, My life in sketchbooks is going to be like this mess of junk and then finally on to some digital device in the future where you won't see anything it's never going to be a great exhibit it's God. too bad yeah it's too like bad. I've,
1: been, I've been trying to do that uh because i have stayed pretty consistent with the same moleskin like no lines it's just just paper that's it and i end up getting it usually in i don't know like stuff that i can remember like when i was out on my honeymoon i actually got a new moleskin just so i could do uh drawings while we're out and about on the city whoa what kind of drawings there <laughs> <laughs> keep it to yourself dude it it was savannah georgia there's we'll, nothing we we, there call one, like. we call that one we call that one the titanic moleskin oh <laughs> my no but I mean that way when I'm actually thumbing through them and seeing like sketches I was working on for like a designer or something at that point in time, I also get to have that connection of stuff that was happening in my life at the same time so that's mm-hmm. actually why I try to do that connection rather than just picking up one whenever I need it
2: yeah and, and paper tried to emulate that in their app with you know the different you could separate your sketches into different books and group them that way which I, I love the idea of it and then in practice that's just not how. It didn't work for me in practice. I, I wasn't able to separate things. And once you draw something in a book, you can't really move it over to another book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it
0: was like, it was this limitation that didn't work. As much as, as we like the physical sketchbooks, It's not. it doesn't work digitally.
2: Yep. Yeah. We should uh, make some on-the-grid sketchbooks and put them out there. It would be a funny joke.
1: Wait, on the grid, would they be graph paper? I see yes. you did. Yeah, uh-huh. pretty, pretty gridded clearly. Gridded paper. I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. You pretty much telegraph yeah. that. That was it's funny.
2: Have.
1: Fine.
0: This has been on the grid, episode nine. Thanks for listening. You can email us, mail at onthegrid.co. Call nine seven three on grid two. We might play your message on the show. Tweet links to hashtag on the grid. If you like the show, review it on iTunes. Thanks to girlfriends
1: for the music. Until next week. <laughs>